Hello, and welcome back to the first episode of the year of Pioneer Pigskin. We have made it through the offseason. The last time we talked was pre-Rose Bowl. We actually never did a Rose Bowl recap. That that kind of fell fell through the... Utah lost. Yeah, Utah lost, so there wasn't really much to talk about. Uh, but the, the lovely voice you just heard is, is my good friend. Austin Fazer back with me for another year to live to live out our fantasies of being uh sports radio uh talk show hosts that host post it's fun shows. to play pretend that's for yeah, sure. it's, yeah it is it is it is fun to play pretend and we're joined today by a real guy a real guy who who really does uh the the, the real stuff it is Jay Catch the the illustrious host Hopefully this year, I, I hope to hear him more on BYU uh, pre and post. Although I don't know if with hands moving to the to the booth, are they going to move you to Utah, Jake? I feel like that would be a a, a strange. They're going to leg wrestle for that position. I feel like that would be a strange move, but uh, I suppose you could be on the Utah pre and post as well. So welcome to the show, Jake. How are you doing? Doing well. Good for thanks for having me, and uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I, I've been told that to plan on doing BYU, but. I never quite know anymore, so I'll just kind of wait and see what they where, they where they tell me to be and when to be there. That that'll work. Yeah, yeah, I I, I agree with that philosophy. I, I am really interested. Perhaps I don't know if this is too inside baseball, but uh, I I will ask. Do you do you have any inclination on who will be doing the Utah pre and post this year? Now now that hands will be traveling with BYU and part of that broadcast team and and in the booth. To be honest, I've, I've got ideas of who might do it, but frankly, I, I, I'd be dead wrong to even guess at this point. I, I, there are a few guys on our staff I think they could do it. Obviously, Scott Mitchell is the radio analyst uh, for those games, so he's already involved on that front. But yeah, it's still very much to be determined, it looks like. Yeah, I predict his name rhymes with Mom Wackett. <laughs> That's a good guess, yeah, actually. Yeah. That does seem like a good guess as, as as well for for me. Who knows? Maybe maybe they'll get Lloyd involved. Who knows? It it, it wouldn't 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 shock me in, in the in the slightest. But I am excited. I will say this. I I you know I I you know there's some things about working in radio that I do not miss at all. But I, I will tell you one thing that I am missing as we get closer. I am just gonna miss you know. It, those long days in the studio where it starts at you know 10 a.m with the saturday show and then okay. drags uh, eric I'm, late. I'm, I'm gonna stop there because I, I think this this is a ridiculous um point of contention to gripe about where we're, we have jake here who has to get up at 3 a.m every freaking morning <laughs> that is true the morning show and has done it for the last 10 years or so so uh getting up at 10 i think to jake sounds like you know Something really wrong would have to happen. Well, no, 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 no. You have to be in and ready by ten. You got to be up at like seven or eight. You know, you can't. How about how about how about being in and being ready by like five a.m. every day? How about yeah, that? Yeah, that, those are not fun. I've done that a few <laughs> times. It is. I've not... always felt like Jake has the safest job in sports media in this market because <laughs> it, listen, he's very. Jake is very good at this job, but there's literally no one on earth who would want to do that job. And yeah, you, yeah, Jake you does could, a great job yeah. at it. I don't know how he has the energy level he does, but um, yeah, but I just, I think, I think it's a safe bet to assume Jake's going to have that job as long as he wants it. Yeah. I don't, I don't really know how, how Jake does it either. I know he's not a big caffeine guy. I mean, uh, famously, nope. famously former uh, coworker, Alex Lumberg consumed heinous amounts of C4 to just, <laughs> Uh, basically continue to survive and exist. I have no idea how Jake does it on. on just he had an IV in his, in his arm energy. that was just Red Bull from throughout the day. Yeah. It's disgusting. So I, I, I don't really, I don't really know how, how Jake does it, but he does a great job and, and we're super excited to have you here and you're here. So that means we're talking about BYU today started uh, the way this is going to roll out is this weekend we'll talk about BYU we'll talk about some big big 12 schools not a ton of deep dive on the big 12 really it's it's going to be more just you know let's take a look at some of the the teams on BYU's schedule this year and look into them a little bit so it is a big 12 preview of sorts but obviously the the major focus of today will be BYU next week 
we'll we'll try to get some guests together that I, I've already been kind of thinking about. Uh, and I, I think Utah is on is on the map for next week. We'll go deep on Utah and some of the, the last year of the Pac-12 and some of the big schools they mm-hmm. play. And then week zero, we'll we'll find a time when hopefully USC isn't playing and Notre Dame isn't playing because those are the two games I want to watch in in week zero are are those two. Uh, and we'll we will talk with hopefully Ajay on uh, some Utah State and some Mountain West teams coming into the year, and then. We'll be we'll be there, Austin. That the the following next mm. Sunday morning, uh, you know, Sunday afternoon. I think we can push it back because there will be no NFL football on, or, or we could even mm. push it to to later to 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 Labor Day if we really wanted to. But we will have football in the state of Utah to talk about. I I, I kind of cannot believe it. We are we are so close to being there, and uh, I, I'm just I'm giddy. I'm excited for it. So. Anyhow, we will let's just get into BYU. And I want I want to ask Jake because obviously you just got done cutting some sound probably from the BYU practice scrimmage today. Takeaways from what came out of camp today with, with how BYU's looking going into the season. Any interesting nuggets that you've you've kind of heard on the BYU front? How I guess I'll start with with a leading question and and the thing that really fascinates me most about BYU this year is how does Keaton Slovis look like what 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 version of Keaton Slovis are we getting because there are two very distinct versions of him one that started his career at USC and with pretty decent Mm -hmm. talent around him lit it up and was a, a very good college quarterback and then one that went to Pitt and quite frankly was not a starter um with the numbers he put up they were atrocious last year how, how does Keaton Slovis look like this year? What are you hearing out of camp, Jake? Like what, what's kind of the general vibe around the offense? Because shockingly, that's the thing I have more questions about this year. Uh, well, if you believe Jay Hill, we just got done with it. They had the first scrimmage of training camp when we were doing media availability via Zoom with them. And Jay Hill, who's the defensive coordinator and associate head coach, he came on and said that uh, Keaton Slovis looked very good. He said he gave his defense fits. Now, BYU's defense has got to improve this year. The metrics last year were downright abysmal for them. But uh, I think for a guy like that who's pretty highly accomplished in terms of coordinating defenses and putting good defense on the football field, to say that he feels like – he used the term big-time quarterback about Keaton Slovis. That's got to give him a, a pretty decent endorsement. We've been out there – I've been there three times – and seen uh, parts of practice with my own eyes. He only allows us to watch about 20 minutes on any given availability. But when he's out there, you can tell he's a, he's a, he's a veteran quarterback. He's nothing really rattles him. He's been through these wars before to use that pejorative. And he, he knows what he's doing out there. So the biggest thing will be, okay, you mentioned they did not have a very good year at Pitt last year. Is that the anomaly or is what he showed last year more of what he is? That, that's that's going to be the true test to actually see him on the field. But in practice so far, he very much looks the part. Hey, Jake, I have a question for you just based on what um, Eric said. Uh, Eric, I thought your, your comment was funny there. You have more questions about the offense uh, at BYU. Um, is that because it's safe to assume the defense will still be bad and we don't even need to you know, have any more thought about that? Uh, it's a valid question because I, I just mentioned the metrics last year, 129th uh, in team sacks. They were 90th or in the 100th in terms of like overall yards per play points for like, it was just, it was not good. The defensive product last year was downright abysmal and they needed to improve on that. That's why Kalani Satake let Elisa Tuiaki and the defensive staff go and brought in Jay Hill. The transfers they have brought in on defense, most notably Jackson Cravens, Isaiah Banya, Utah state linebacker, AJ Vongpachan, as well as Eddie Heckard, the all American from Weber state. Those four players alone, in my mind, are going to put a better defensive product on the field for BYU this year because they are highly accomplished players and they can bring their expertise to a defense that sorely lacked it a year ago. So I, I'm, I'm not going to say that they're going to have like this massive turnaround and go from being a 90th in the 90s in terms of ranking as a defense to being a top 25 caliber. But I'm of the opinion they can probably get inside the top 60 and that'd be a pretty market improvement, I think, for BYU defensively. Yeah, I think I, when you talk about the sorry, Eric, let me ask one quick question, Eric. I'm sorry, I know this is yeah. your show. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, don't worry about uh, it. <laughs> but uh, you know, I think you talk about the defense, and I think you know more than like the the names on on the back of the jerseys. There, I think really 
you want to talk about the coaching staff that was com- almost completely reassembled there on the defensive yeah. side. Um, you mentioned Jay Hill. I think it's also important to mention guys like Sione Buha, Kelly Papinga. Um, mm-hmm. Is is there a culture shift from from what you're observing with, with those guys at the helm? Yeah, yeah. In a word, absolutely. They they they've brought a lot of energy to this de- defense. That was one thing that was lacking severely last year was just like a, a belief in themselves. Speaking of the defense, they just they got really down on themselves. Uh, Connor Pay, one of the offensive linemen, said that he felt like uh, multiples of his teammates uh, on defense, in particular, he felt like quit in a way last year. And that, that, that he said that on the record. He said that to, I think it was the Deseret News during spring camp. So he he went on the record with that and said that outright. The thing about this is. There has absolutely been a culture shift. Jay Hill demands effort. He demands you to go out there and give your all for this team. And that alone, in many respects, in my mind, can go a long way to putting uh, an improved defensive product out there. A lot of the bodies, a lot of the players have remained from last year's defense that were out there and were heavy contributors for this defense. But actually having some pride in yourself, having some self-belief, having just the overall go out and get it done mentality, I think he could go a long way to having a little bit of a defensive resurgence this year. A.J. Vongpachan, obviously a name I'm very familiar with, very, very solid linebacker at Utah mm-hmm. State. I think he fits what Jay Hill wants to do very, very well. I, I, I really love his fit in the – Offense. One thing I do just want to know, because I'm not as familiar with them as I am with, say, Utah transfers. Can you just give me some brief scouting reports on what some of these BYU defensive transfers are going to look like in this defense? Well, uh, you mentioned A.J. Vongpachan. He, he's a guy that easily could go for another 100 tackles this year at yeah. BYU. They love him. He, he's been absolutely lights out since he showed up in Provo. I had a chance to talk with him just a little bit uh, the other day, and you can tell he's enjoying his time in Provo, and I think he's very much going to be the kind of the backbone that I think makes that linebacking core a lot better than they were a year ago. I really like the two Boise State transfers, Isaiah Banya and Jackson Cravens. Cravens is a guy that people who watch high school football here or Utah fans probably know the name of he played at Timview High School he's the nephew of Kyle Whittingham went to Utah for a year before ultimately transferring to Boise State where he's played the last four this is a kid he's, he's an absolute he's just a man eater in the middle of that defense he's a defensive tackle nose tackle type who's going to really help BYU hopefully be stronger against the run whereas Isaiah Banya his teammate who came with him from Boise State is more of a pass rusher he he's a guy who's more in the mold uh, to look at guys like a Trevor Riley, a stand-up pass rusher who's capable of dropping into coverage but also getting after the quarterback. And that's what they're expecting. This is going to be the Utah defense just transplanted to Provo, Utah. It's what Kyle Whittingham has developed over the years. Jay Hill knows it, Kalani Satake knows it, and they're implementing it now in Provo more heavily than they ever have done before. That's what a guy like Isaiah Banyo is going to bring, is that Trevor Riley, Hunter Dimmick-type role, that pass rusher who's an absolute terror off the edge. At least they hope he's going to be. This is a guy who led Boise State in sacks two seasons ago. So he's got bona fide credentials behind him. So I'm looking forward to seeing what he's capable of. And I also mentioned Eddie Heckard earlier. I probably should also uh, invoke the name of Camden Garrett. Both of them cornerbacks coming with Jay Hill from Weber State. Both of them were starters for the Weber State Wildcats. Now, I know that's an FCS program, and these are two guys making the jump to the Power 5 level. But both of them have a lot to prove out there, and they know this defense inside and out. The one thing I know about Eddie is I've talked with him. He's talked about the fact that multiple other players in BYU's defense, especially defensive backs, have come to him and say, okay, coach is saying this. What does he mean by that? He has become essentially a coach on the field to let these guys know, okay, here's what you need to do here. Here's what you need to do on that point. And the wide receivers for BYU are actually very good wide receivers. Cody Epps, Chase Roberts, Keanu Hill. They're going to test guys like Eddie Heckard. And to his credit so far, in some of the highlights we've seen and some of the action with my own eyes, he's held up very well. He's making the jump, obviously, from a lower level to the highest level of football. But he had NFL draft uh, people like uh, scouts, et cetera, tell him, hey, you could go to the draft this year and uh, probably make it into an NFL camp, et cetera. But if you can even play another year and play at a higher level and prove yourself, that actually p- puts you with an a- absolute must-draft grade on yourself. So he's making a big bet in terms of making this transition to BYU playing at the Power 5 level. But uh, so far, so good in, in terms of Eddie Heckard. Who benefits more from the Jay Hill addition to this defense as far as um, veterans go on, on this defense 
Ben Bywater or Tyler Batty? Who who do you think benefits more from this new style of defense uh, in that Jay Hill is going to institute this year? Uh, ben Bywater is a fantastic football player, but it's Tyler Batty. He no longer has to two-gap every single play and give up his pass rush ability it, trying to stop the run. He is going to be a true defensive end for the first time in his BYU career. He looks the part of an NFL defensive end body type-wise. Six foot five, 265 pounds. He, like, he looks like the prototype you want in terms of your defensive ends, especially a 4-3 end at the NFL level. The problem is the production's not there. And that's, it's been, I think, a big byproduct of the scheme he's been playing in at BYU. Now that it's a true four-man front for BYU defensively where he is a true defensive end, he's able to come off the edge, have one guy to beat, and get after the quarterback, I think it's absolutely going to unlock Tyler Batty's potential. Overall, you said the production's been an issue. That That is across the board at BYU. What was it last year? 12 sacks throughout the entire uh, year? 15, 15 after the bowl game. Yeah, so big, big number, let me tell you. 15 after the bowl game. I, I'm going to give you an over-under here. Over under 18 and a half sacks this year for Forbes BYU defense. I'd put big money on the over. I just think the way that Jay Hill's going to coordinate this defense, if he has to, he said it, I will not lose games. But he calls it death by a thousand paper cuts. What BYU was so insistent, our system, we're going to run our system, and it killed him at times, especially under Elisa Tuiaki and Ed Lamb's leadership. He refuses to do that. If his four-man fronts can't get home, he'll send five, six, seven guys. He is going to get after that quarterback. He has promised that. He said it on the record. And what I've seen uh, so far in practice is he's backing that up. If, if his guys can't get the job done on that D line, the linebackers, et cetera, will have to come up and help him do that. But he, he is hell-bent, uh, to use that term, uh, in terms of making this defense far more aggressive and absolutely making life miserable for opposing quarterbacks if they can manage it. Hmm. Just a random thought here. I, our last look at BYU was uh, against SMU in the New Mexico mm-hmm. Bowl. Um, am I correct in remembering that as the most boring bowl game of all time? <laughs> it was. It, I, I was there. I was there in Albuquerque. I, I was watching that game. I was in the, in the press box watching it. It was not the most exciting bowl game by far because BYU was down to a quarterback in Soljay Marava Peters who actually made a move to running back in spring camp. That's uh, he right. Just, he was ineffective at throwing the football, and that's why BYU they 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 won a game in spite of not having a true quarterback that could play in that game. That that's, yes, that's Aaron, Aaron Roderick should get a like a gold star for winning a football game as an offensive coordinator without without an actual quarterback playing in said game. That's that's pretty impressive on on, on his side of things. But yes, it was not the most thrilling bowl game. It was actually far from it. I think the bad house on the roof as kind of a. You know, thank you. That was pretty. I heard that actually. That's a lie. Go ahead, Eric. No, it's okay. I think we're having some internet connectivity issues on both of our ends that are that are making us talk over each other a little bit. I had a question for for Jake as far because you said something interesting with Soljay Mayaba Peters obviously moving to running back. College football is a strange sport in that. Uh-huh. Your starting quarterback's important, but it does feel like in today's day and age, the depth you have at that position is equally important. How What does the depth of BYU's quarterback room look like right now? Uh, it looks pretty decent. I think they brought in obviously Keaton Slovis. He'll be, he'll be just a one-year guy. Obviously he's a grad transfer into this program, but they went and got the top rated junior college quarterback in all of junior college last year in Jake Retzloff. Uh, he's come in, he passed for a bazillion yards down there in Southern California and they really like him. They're kind of grooming him to be the next guy after this year for Keaton Slovis. But uh, beyond that, you've got uh, Soldier Mayava Peters made the move and he's actually currently not on the roster. He's working on getting himself back on uh, with the football program. Sometimes some academic issues he's got to resolve before he can play. But the guy to keep an eye on down the road is the former Springville Red Devil uh, writer Burton. He is a guy that a lot of people, when he's watching his prep days, were like, Are you sure BYU wants to recruit this kid? Because he wasn't thrown for a gazillion yards. He wasn't necessarily playing outside of his mind. But he has come into BYU and shown a really good ability to process defenses. He's still very young. He's only 17 years old. He's a, 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 So he's got plenty of time on his side. 
He has shown some really, really nice flashes of a big arm, really understanding what this offense is all about. And the, the nice part is, is if it goes according to plan, because it's going to be Keaton Slovis this year, in theory, you have Jake Retzloff be your starter for the next two years beyond that. And then potentially Ryder Burton as a redshirt sophomore, in theory, could be in line to start at quarterback at that point. But uh, it's setting up nicely for BYU to have a nice little succession plan at quarterback. Now, the transfer portal, NIL, all that can mess all that up. They will have to continue to recruit quarterbacks in every single recruiting class. They're currently after a kid down in the Fort Worth area of Texas by the name of Noah Lugo. Uh, hopefully he can come in. He would be a part of that mix as well. So there is there is a lot of confidence in the quarterback room at BYU right now, but we all know that it takes all of just one offseason to see all of that go out the window. You know the name we haven't said yet, uh, um, and I think has a chance to be BYU's player this year, is uh, Aiden Robbins. Uh, what, what can you tell, tell us about him, Jake? Am I, am I correct in that assessment? What, what can you tell us about him? They're very excited to have him, I can tell you that much. I had a 1,000-yard season a year ago at UNLV. He is one of the biggest running backs I've ever seen with my own eyes. And there have been big running backs in the history of football. We all know this. But in terms of guys I have seen with my own eyes, he is truthfully one of the biggest guys. He's all a six foot three. He's all a 240 pounds. But he's got very nice light feet for a guy that big. And they're expecting him to be the lead back for BYU this year. Like I said, the 1,000-yard season a year ago at UNLV. BYU uh, recruited him out of high school when he ultimately picked his hometown school of Louisville. Never really saw much action with the Cardinals, and then made that transfer to UNLV last year. Broke out, and BYU is expecting him to do more of what he did at UNLV this year. They're they are very excited to have him. Uh, they have a nice compliment for him in Dion Smith, who comes over from the University of Colorado. He's one of the uh, kind of the cast offs that uh, that Deion Sanders just kind of let essentially that entire roster go. So. They feel like they've got a really nice one-two combo in those two transfer running backs. But beyond that, guys like Kinkley Ropati are also capable of helping out. But it's going to be the Aiden Robbins show, if at all possible, for BYU. I have a question. I think we can move now that we've talked about the running backs. I, I like Aiden Robbins a lot as well. I was a big fan of UNLV last year. I thought they were a fun football team to watch, despite not having a ton of wins. The wide receiving room, very interesting to me. I, I want to know what kind of progression Cody Epps has made because to me, he was one of the more exciting young bright spots on the team last year. I thought that he was arguably one of my favorite receivers that played last year uh, for this offense. And there were a lot because they are typically pretty deep at wide receiver. What can you tell me about his development going into this year? And then the specifically the depth at the wide receiver position, because I think Keanu Hill, he's a proven, we know that he can play and produce at the FPS level, and he's going to be a part of this passing attack. Chase Roberts is a guy they have loved for a long time and that they have really hyped up and that has shown up when they've given him opportunities. And I'm sure he'll get a ton more opportunities this year. Now that some of the names ahead of him that were on the depth chart last year are now gone. Tell me a little bit about Cody Epps' progression, and then if you, you wouldn't mind, just walk me through some of the depth that they have at wide receiver because obviously that's important for this scheme. Yeah, Cody, uh, so starting off with Cody, he he is a guy that's like this uh, poster boy for what BYU football is supposed to be all about. Now, he did have that little jaunt. He entered the transfer portal for about 24 hours before realizing that he wanted to stick with BYU. And he's been ingratiated right back into the program. His teammates absolutely love him. Uh, he's fully recovered from that uh, season-ending shoulder injury he suffered against Liberty last year. Uh, the one thing about Cody Epps, is you're right, uh, Eric, is he is a phenomenal player when he's on the field. But Three seasons of BYU, three of them ended due to season-ending injuries. So he's got injury uh, risk labeled next to him, and that's the thing he's got to kind of overcome this year for BYU. He's got to be on the field for all 12 games, if at all possible. And they uh, they also realized that with Chase Roberts, who has uh, dealt with his own injury concerns at BYU. Keanu Hill has been kind of Mr. Steady, Reliable, wide receiver for them all of his time at BYU. He was actually their leading receiver in terms of overall yardage last year, and I'm expecting big things from him this year in the Big 12. But to address some of the injury concerns and depth concerns, losing Puka Nakua and Gunnar Romney most notably from last year's team, they went out to the transfer portal. He has sent in a theme, by the way, from BYU. A lot of transfers expected to contribute. That's kind of the, the story of this BYU offseason. But 
They went out and brought in two players, one being Darius Lassiter from Eastern Michigan, the other being Keelan Marion from UConn. And the word I'm hearing uh, from them and also having talked with both of these players is they are very much fitting right in with BYU. They feel like they've got a nice at least five-man rotation there at wide receiver. I'd probably include uh, former prep star uh, Parker Kingston from Roy High School as the number six guy at wide receiver for the Cougars. So they, they brought in some transfers. They have some holdovers as well on this and some emerging young players. So the wide receiving core uh, is showing flashes. Uh, I, I'm interested to see how they ultimately go out there and produce. If there's going to be uh, one guy who emerges to be like a Puka uh, type player where he is the guy when he's on the field, or if it's more by committee. And that, that's the big question about this wide receiving core is if they can find a true number one, or if it's going to be all five or six of these guys needing to contribute to make up the, the whole part. Ironically, one of my big questions here and, you know, it, it's hard to have this question because year after year they've shown they can develop guys and slot guys in. But two for draft and two for transfer portal, they did lose a lot on that offensive line this offseason. That, that's just one thing that stuck out to me is it, it seemed like the big news items of the offseason were that they lost especially specifically a tackle, some of their depth and guys that they were counting on starting as I think Austin's going to rejoin us here in just a second. Tell me a little bit about what they feel about the O-line right now. Obviously, they added some depth out of, you know, it, you know, Waylon Lapuahu out of Utah State. But what is the outlook on the offensive line right now? And what what's the outlook, more importantly, on the depth? Uh, well, the, the O-line, they actually hit the transfer portal maybe the hardest on the O-line than they did anywhere else because they realized, that, yeah, we do, we are losing quite a few bodies. They lost the Barrington brothers who transferred to Baylor. You lost Blake Freeland and Harris Lachance to the draft. Like You you lost a bunch of guys who were steady contributors for this offensive line, uh, but they went out and hit the transfer portal hard. Kingsley Suamati is back. He is a first-round potential talent. There at left tackle for BYU, Connor pays back as probably your, either your starting center or starting guard. But beyond that, you're probably going to have three or four transfers they're expecting to play. Caleb Etienne comes to BYU from Oklahoma State. He started 13 games a year ago for Oklahoma State at left tackle. He's going to make the move potentially to right tackle now and be a starter there and would be a very, very nice addition, I think, just because he's an absolute massive human being. Uh, if you ever get a chance to see him in person, you'll be impressed with how large he is. He's going to make a nice pair of a bookend tackle alongside Kingsley Suomati. And then on the interior of the offensive line, they have a bevy of different guys. You mentioned Waylon Mapuaho. They have Ian Fitzgerald, who transferred over from Missouri State at the FCS level. Simi Mawala, the former all-conference tackle from Utah, is at BYU now after taking a year off from football. So they have got a, a bunch of options here, honestly, Eric. They could go 10, 11 guys deep and feel like they're fairly confident in them. They'll obviously narrow that down probably to closer to an eight-man rotation in, in the end. But they have got a lot of bodies there, and they're very excited about all of them. I, I'm interested to just see how that plays out. I have a now a, a more big picture question. Obviously, BYU's offense over the past few years has been very good. It's been the calling card of the team. Mm -hmm. If this team competes at a Big Twelve level offensively, and I, you know, I think they will. Um, but if they compete at a Big Twelve level offensively, if they're not blown out a ton, if they stay in games, if they're competitive. And they end up getting to that bowl game and they get their six wins, which I, I think ultimately they will. Now that he's at the power five level, like what when is Aaron Roderick going to get seriously looked at as being poached to be a college football head coach somewhere? Uh, I think it, it, it'll happen. I think it's just a matter of time if it hasn't happened already. Uh, the biggest thing for him is he's put back-to-back -back quarterbacks in the NFL draft. He put Zach Wilson there. He's put Jaron Hall in there. Keaton Slovis expects to be an NFL quarterback. And if you start producing NFL-caliber quarterbacks, they don't necessarily be first-round picks, but they're NFL-caliber quarterbacks on an annual ba basis or close to it or seemingly every recruiting class you've got one, that's a very, very good thing as an offensive coordinator to have that in your back pocket in terms of have it on your resume. And we'll see. Uh, the, the thing is, I, I think that the biggest thing for him is going to be in terms of just going out there 
and continue to show what he's capable of. This is a guy who has worked his entire coaching career in the state of Utah. So it's not necessarily that he wants to leave the state. I just think that he has uh, been overlooked at times in terms of his overall production. But I'm with you, Eric. At some point, people are going to start to realize, hey, this Aaron Roderick guy seems to know what he's doing on offense. Why don't we give him a longer look? Here's my prediction. Utah State Aggies. I, I think Blake Anderson's on the hot seat up there, uh, to say to put it lightly. So, you know, they've had they've had a little bit of off season trouble or you know field trouble. I don't know if you heard. Yeah, uh, I've heard a thing or two. That'd be interesting. Aaron would be an interesting name, obviously, to track and all of that. Uh, they have that new uh, AD up there. Uh, Sabo is her mm-hmm. last name. Uh, interested to see what her philosophy is. Does she want to uh, bring another? in-state uh, higher to Logan or she want to like, like the last situation they brought Blake Anderson from out of state it's going to be an interesting philosophy to see how she approaches it but absolutely if Aaron Roderick and Jay Hill continue to do their thing as coordinators at BYU they absolutely should both be on that short list of a potential Aggie head coach I'm not sure Jake pers- personally I would make that move if I were Either of them, I think if you if you are competitive in the Big 12 and you are those names, especially Jay Hill, you should be shooting for a P5 job like or, or a P3 job at this point. Like you're just an anti Loganite. That's what you are. You hate Logan. <laughs> no, I, I do. I do you like hate, Logan, you hate cash belly cheese. I, 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 you I don't like Pepperidge Farm. You don't want anything to do with the sink at Angie's. You're an anti. I think that's wrong. Hmm. I disagree with that take, but, uh, <laughs> but, but no, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm interested to see how, how this kind of, how this kind of plays out. All right. I, I wanted to look at, at BYU's schedule and kind of look at the opponents that play this year. And, and I feel like that'd be a good way to wrap this up. Perhaps we can all come to some sort of agreement on what we believe the record's going to look like. We'll just start with the non-con. Sam Houston, Southern Utah, those should both be pretty manageable wins for the Cougars, right? Even jumping to the Big 12 and with, with sizable change, correct? God, let's uh, hope. Yeah, if they, if they don't win either one of those games, Eric, uh, this season might be a lot longer than we all expect. Yeah, so, uh, you know, BYU has a tendency to do that sometimes, but I don't think that's going to happen this year. I see that I, I see both those as as winnable games. Arkansas, that's a tough game. KJ Jefferson's back as a, as a quarterback. You know, in Arkansas, very tough one. That's that's probably a loss. Kansas, the the first real Big Twelve road test for BYU will come in Lawrence. That is a game that I am super excited for. I I I think Kansas is a very interesting program to keep an eye on this year. Uh, they are, to me, one of the more intriguing teams in the country. I love their quarterback. I love some of their skill position talent. I love their head coach. I think that they are very well positioned to, again, try and, and make a run at a bowl game this year and remain competitive in the Big 12. But you look at that game, Jake, what are, what are some of your thoughts on Kansas coming into this year and especially Kansas is kind of the introduction for BYU into the big 12. Well, you're right. They are in a very intriguing team because Jalen Daniels in particular, their quarterback, that dude was phenomenal. He was on the field last year and he's the preseason. He's the preseason offensive player of the year. Essentially the MVP uh, for the big 12 this year. I was down there at big 12 media days and he was picked as the, uh, as the offensive player of the year. So uh, it's going to be an interesting game. I'm actually making the trip out to Lawrence. Uh, I, I didn't want to miss their first Big 12 game in BYU football history, so looking forward to getting out there and watching it. But uh, Kansas was an interesting story last year. They raced out to that fast start and obviously faded down the stretch, but that's what Lance Leopold is still building is the overall depth uh, of Kansas. I think it's going to be a tough game for BYU. I could very easily see them starting out 2-0 and and then dropping to 2-2 two and after that Arkansas and Kansas game, but uh, if you're kind of doing the math in terms of where BYU needs to pick up wins to get to bowl eligibility, uh, I think that game there in Kansas against the Jayhawks might be one that's in the – if you want to get to bowl eligibility, you got to win that one on the road. Yeah. I think that's I take there, Jake. Just looking at the, the Big 12 uh, preseason pool, poll, excuse me, um, TCU is picked to finish fifth. 
Um, that to me seems, I, I know they're, you know, going, uh, replacing Max at quarterback, but is, is that disrespect? I don't necessarily think it's disrespect because they, they lost their entire offense. That's the thing about this. Duggan moved on, uh, Quentin Johnson. They, they, you look at their offense, the, all of them are gone. Their defense is back by and large, speaking of TCU. And they're going to have to live a little bit with that defense early on this season. Uh, they do have uh, some decent options offensively, it feels like. But just the fact that they have to replace almost the, the entire production of their offense, I think them being uh, slotted fifth is actually a fair spot to be because you're still very much in dark horse territory where if you do have uh, essentially a, just a re- uh, offense just kind of picks up where it's left off, well, you're right back in it. And that's absolutely uh, a mark uh, that they could accomplish. But I think the fact that they lost all of of their offense by and large absolutely has them slotted a little bit lower than you would have thought. The guys are at the top of the preseason poll, Texas. Uh, I, I just think that the Texas is back preseason uh, high. The preseason is the most consistent and obnoxious conversation that we make every off season. And, Here's the same question every every year: uh, Is Texas back? Is the deal? I think our little connection difficulty there. Did I lose you guys? Is Texas back? I believe was okay. the question. Well. Uh... Until they prove that they are, can we really believe it? I, I don't know. They are pick number one. They've got a lot of options there. Quinn Ewers is a fantastic quarterback. I absolutely think that he is lights out. Uh, the biggest thing for me with Texas is just go out and prove it. Uh, to your point, Austin, we hear it every year. Texas is back. They're going to do this thing. They're going to they're going to finally break through. It's been a decade plus at this point, if not longer than that, of them saying that annually and then kind of falling flat on their face or not living up to that hype. I just want them to go out and prove it. If they do end up winning uh, the, the conference this year, good on them. It'd be their final year in the Big 12. They're headed to the SEC next year. But I'm just sick of, yeah, all the hype. Go out and prove it finally. It, inter- it'll be interesting. Yeah, interesting to see how it plays out. I, I, for one, am a Texas guy. I like Texas. I want Texas to be good. So I, I, I do hope they are good. I do, I do wonder – I do just wonder – with you know, with Arch Manning sitting in the wings, how long the leashes for Quinn Ewers? Like, I, I with the amount of sway the Mannings have as a football family, like, mm-hmm. who knows? Like, do we get to October and say they're two and two, and do they go and say, okay, we're moving to the SEC, it's time to go to our SEC big name quarterback and and get Arch Manning his reps? I, I think that's something that. I'm very interested to see. I ultimately don't think Quinn Ewers finishes his career at Texas. I, I don't know if he gets drafted next year. I think there's a chance he he might. I, I'm not certain on his eligibility, but I do feel like he could be a grad transfer of some sort. And, you know, I, 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 I'm, I, I'm not convinced that he finishes his career at Texas, but that'll, that'll be interesting to see. Well, Hey, real quick on that, Eric. Is Quinn Ewers is draft eligible this year. He will be a redshirt sophomore, so he is draft eligible. He has a monster year. He could potentially do that. But here's the thing. He, Arch Manning's running third right now in this depth chart, guys. That's the thing about this. You're forgetting one name, Malik Murphy. There are people down there at Texas. I was a Big 12 media and talking with some of the folks at Texas. Malik Murphy is a, an absolute freak of nature physically, and they're, they're of the opinion that potentially – Arch Manning uh, could have to wait longer than most think if everything goes according to plan. Now, you're right. The the Mannings have a lot of sway. They are the first family of football out there. And obviously all that uh, attention is going to bring a spotlight on that position. But I, I, I am curious to see if Arch Manning ends up as a guy early on in his career or if he's going to be patient and sit back because it looks like the pecking order could have him running third this year. Interesting. I you know. Pers- Texas, yeah, I, I read they spent two hundred and eighty thousand dollars recruiting him. Um, could he be the most expensive red shirt in in college football history? Uh, easily, I, I I would say that that absolutely is a possibility. The funny thing is, Quinn Ewers also has a, a claim to that because he went to Ohio State as you, as you might recall. He re- reclassified to spend that one year at Ohio State as a red shirt before transferring to Texas. He got all kinds of money himself to do that. So it's kind of a funny deal how this is all working out. Hmm. Okay, 
a larger view of the schedule here. So let's, you know, we're all hoping that BYU gets bowl eligible. Like that's, that's, that's the hope. Is, whoa, whoa, don't put words in my mouth, Eric. I was not, I did not impart that. <laughs> well, I'm hoping BYU gets bowl eligible because I, 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 be I, I, I like, I like when, when teams here do well, I'm not one of those Utah fans. Um, let me ask you this, Jake. Mm-hmm. Let's take out the Looking at okay. the Big 12 schedule, which games are the must-win games for BYU to get bowl eligible? What games can they not slip up in that – What? where are the gimmies on this schedule? Like, obviously, there are no gimmies. It's Power 5 football. Mm-hmm. It's the Big 12. But, like, where do you have to get your wins here to get bowl eligible? So they need wow. four. Let's assume – Sam Houston and Southern Utah are wins, so they need four here in Big Twelve play. Yeah, so they got they got to get four wins in that. So uh, first one is your home opener in the Big Twelve play. It's against Cincinnati. You've got to beat the Bearcats. They're in all kinds of flux right now with the new coaching staff. A lot of that talent from that playoff team is gone. You got to beat Cincinnati. That's absolutely one. Second one for me is West Virginia. Neil Brown is on the hottest of seats out there in Morgantown. And by the time BYU shows up there in early November, he absolutely could have already been fired. So that that's one I think you got to go win as well as out there in Morgantown on the road, beating the Mountaineers. So that gives you two. Uh, other one to keep an eye on is Iowa State. Iowa State has their starting quarterback and starting running back now under gambling probes. They're probably going to force them to be suspended for the season at minimum, if not lose their eligibility, guys. They're they're in all kinds of heat right now. And they're not the only Iowa State players that are under that gambling probe. There are multiple others. But when your starting quarterback and starting running back are going to be on the shelf, that's going to be a tough sledding for Iowa State. I think you got to beat the Cyclones there. And then one other one that I'm looking at and just trying to – I'm just – there's part of me that because this is going to be probably the only trip they're ever going to make to Provo in the history of college football, you got to beat Oklahoma. I'm not 100% convinced that Oklahoma is that good, and they're coming to Provo, Utah. Uh, there's already just there's a hype about that game of them making their lone trip ever to Provo, BYU hosting them there at Lavelle Edwards Stadium on senior night. Uh, that feels like to me that that might be the one. That might be the one that you 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 win that one. You go bowl. You go to a bowl. You lose that one. You potentially finish five and seven. That's the interesting dynamic I think at play there. And if you want to ha- add a fifth, it's the week following that going to Oklahoma State. Who knows what Mike Gundy's program is going to look like? He, he 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 seems like when his back is against the wall, he comes out swinging and he has a better team than most expect. But there are some concerns that Oklahoma State may have lost too much talent in recent years to really rebound this year. So. Uh, those are probably the games to keep an eye on, I think. You know what? I was listening to one of your uh, shows from the other day, Jake, uh, Locked on Cougars, and I, I think you you put it really eloquently where, like, BYU is probably going to be the underdog in a lot yeah. of their, their uh, Big 12 matchups. It's going to be key for them to just play with with uh, um, like, uh, a looseness, with with a, a mindset of, of nothing to to lose. And mm-hmm. I think we've really seen that in, before in, in Kalani Sataki teams. And when you were talking about that, I kept thinking about their uh, 2018 uh, game against Wisconsin. And I don't know if you remember, I'm sure you remember this, but Wisconsin did quarter jump. And I, yeah. I thought it was brilliant how Kalani and the team jumped along with the Wisconsin fans. And I thought that was when BYU won the game right there. Um, I mean, do you see... Yep. Do you see the Kalani, this Kalani Sataki team leaning into a hostile environment on the road in the Big 12? Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely something. You're right. They, they absolutely have embraced that awesome. That you go back to that Wisconsin game. Uh, you can think of that game. They had the, the season finale in 2021 going to USC, going to the Coliseum. That's a pretty intimidating place for a lot of teams. And BYU was all about it. They have embraced that kind of that road warrior mentality where they're like, yeah, we're playing on the road. We're playing in front of your fans. Let's go out and do this thing. Uh, the other game that comes to my mind because I was there in person is that Tennessee game. You can remember absolutely miracle pass uh, from Zach Wilson to Micah Simon setting up that field goal to get pushed into overtime. But then in that second overtime, they that offensive line for BYU helped aid that touchdown that ultimately won that game. And it it was it was incredible that BYU hundred thousand plus fans there in Tennessee just going hog wild and. They BYU embraced everything. So, yes, they need to go in there and play loose and just feel like, hey, you know what? They don't expect much from us. Let's just go out there and show what we can do. And that's that's the nice part about being the underdog, as you mentioned here, as they start playing the Big 12. 
You're going to be taken fairly lightly. There will be programs, obviously, they're going to watch BYU closely. And as time, if they are successful in terms of winning on the road, they'll go from being the underdog to being the favorite. But right now, yeah, embrace the underdog role, play loose, and understand that, hey, we're not expected to go do anything, so let's go, quote-unquote, shock the world. All right, final question here to wrap up. Mm -hmm. The two teams in the Big 12 title game. Okay. And BYU's final record. I'll, oh, I'll let okay. you start, Jake. All right. So uh, I, I've, I've said this on my podcast. If you, I know, Austin, you, you've watched it. I've been a broken record all summer long. I think six and six is where I think BYU slots. If they do, I think they do scrape uh, to bowl eligibility, get themselves an extra game on, on the dock in December there. And I think that'd be a pretty massive accomplishment, all things considered year one for BYU, considering all the challenges that kind of laid before them that they both know and don't know going into the power five rank. So I think getting a six and six would be a good deal. So I'm, I'm sitting them there at 500. Now with regards to the big 12 title game, uh, I am going to say Texas is going to make it to the title game. The hype will be real. They may lose a game along the way, but I do think that they get to the title game. The team that they will play, though, that's the interesting question. I'm actually saying Texas Tech. Keep an eye on the Red Raiders. That's, that's So I think it's Texas and Texas Tech for all the marbles in the Big 12. I'm slightly more bullish on, on, on BYU. I, I do think that they're going to take advantage of a really good home field advantage and not lose at home a ton. I think okay. I think one more win. I do think they might get to seven wins this year. I think seven and five, I could see wins against Sam Houston, Southern Utah. I do think they win the Big 12 opener at Kansas. I do think that is a game that they get up for and they win. You know, I think um, West Virginia, Iowa State, and Oklahoma State would be the other wins that I that I have on the schedule, and it you know it wouldn't shock me if we 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 get a really weird game where they go to Austin and win for some reason because Texas <laughs> provides really weird games sometimes. Um, they don't hey they don't have Taysom they, Hill so they ain't winning it all. They yeah. Win it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would say to me. I'm not, I just, I'm not quite like, I'm not, I want to buy into Texas so, so bad, but I've just seen it go so wrong so many times that I, I think Oklahoma is probably the top team. And I, I do think that one thing that just gets slept on in a league that's driven by offense is if you have a great defense, you're going to be okay. I like the Texas Tech pick, but I'm actually going to go with the team I think has the best defense of a Big 12, and that's Kansas State. I think Kansas State is going to have a really big year this year. And, I, you know, they, they've got a – if the quarterback, that's a big question. He's more of a game manager right now. But if he can take a step up, I, I like what they have going on in Manhattan. So I, I think that Oklahoma-Kansas State would be my pick for the Big 12 title game. Okay. Here, you know, I'm going to be the group pessimist. I, I think BYU is going to finish five and seven. Uh, let's okay. give them wins against Sam Houston, Southern Utah. Um, I, I just because I am uh, uh, cynical, I'm going to project they lose one of the two games they should win, either West Virginia or Cincinnati. Um, let's give them the Iowa, Iowa State win there since, since they'll be, uh, they're playing them at home, right? Yeah, since they're playing them at home. Mm -hmm. And then I think I'm going to go with one Jay Catch pitch pick and say they'll play loose they'll they'll upset somebody on the road um just for the the sake of you know you know fun or whatever let's let's call yeah. that um let's call that uh oklahoma state so i'm gonna give i'm gonna give uh byu five wins there uh they're gonna miss bowl eligibility uh you said it would be a massive accomplishment if they made it there for that reason i'm gonna suggest they don't do it that it won't happen um and then as far as the championship game in the big 12 uh, I'm going to project again, just for the sake of fun. And because uh, I'm a big fan of the wizard of Oz, I think we're going to see Kansas, Kansas state uh, okay. facing off the, for the Ruby slippers there. I kind of do. So, I do like the sleeper Kansas take. I really do. I, 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 the, the I, I, I showdown. I, I really think I'm just in on Kansas this year. I'm going to try to watch as many Kansas football games as I can. I'm, I'm just a big fan of a program right now. So I, I think that they are, they are, uh, and you know, Utah's moving to the conference. I got to have some tertiary teams like Kansas <laughs> might just, Kansas might just be one tertiary, of them. Good one. 
I, I do like I, I do like Kansas. Um, well, this was great, Jake. Thank you so much. Any uh, any wisdom you'd like to leave us with here today? Anything that you'd you'd like to a life to lesson to, maybe to to, cl- to close us off. Uh, just enjoy football season, guys. It's a finite period. We spend months and months and months getting ready for it, and it flies by seemingly in the blink of an eye. Just enjoy it. Watch all the games you can muster. Enjoy it. Enjoy the pageantry. Uh, the world is changing in college football very quickly. You talked about the fact that Utah and uh, the four corner schools, as they call them, are joining the Big 12 next year. It's changing a lot, but the nice part is there are still games to be played, so just enjoy that. that that's the thing about it enjoy living in the moment because like I said, it, it comes and goes really, really fast. I think that's good advice for Eric. Cause he takes this too seriously at times. And I think he does need to take a step back and, and just uh, enjoy it for what it is. I, I, I we'll, we'll see. I, I am trying to take a more relaxed <laughs> approach this year, but I, I doubt that actually happens. Um, I want to get a heart rate monitor on you during, you know, on a, on a Saturday, what that looks like. I'm, I'm sure yeah. it would be. Well, I mean, terrible. I was, I, I was, I was vehemently angry at like two preseason Broncos drives yesterday. So, I mean, I, 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 I think all hope is probably lost. <laughs> Eric, it's the preseason, man. Come on. I, I know. <laughs> I know. I think I think all hope is lost for me at this point. Um, who starts a quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers this year, Jake? Uh, Brock Purdy. Uh, I just they're all in with him. It looks like so unless unless he has a setback in terms of training camp and that elbow. Uh, it sounds like it's his job to lose. Uh, keep an eye on this though. Trey Lance could get cut. That, that's the thing about this. They may they may release him before training camp ends. That that would trust me. That would be huge news. But it's not out of the realm of possibility. So keep an eye on it. Okay, I definitely will. All right, we will be back next week with Utah. Keep an eye out for the NFC South preview that'll go up before this as well. Once again, guys, thank you so much for joining me. This has been a ton of fun. We will see you all next time. Peace out.